is Jordi Mueller and welcome to the Empower Women series of the month of May. Uh, and today we have a little bit of a hot topic, uh, not just because it's still tax season and we are into way into May, but because there is also a tax proposal out there that we are all listening. So we are extremely lucky to have Jennifer Williams from McLaren CPA. How are you doing, Jennifer? I am doing very well, thank you. So, a little sleep deprived, but I am doing well. <laughs> I was going to say, originally when we scheduled this event, uh, we consciously planned it in May, so it would be after April, so you would have already your your 30 days rest, I would say, after, and plenty of cookies that people in our industry sent you. But mm-hmm. yeah, we're here. It's uh, definitely after the 10th of May, and you're still working late hours. So how does that feel? Yes, I am. Um, I actually sort of like it. I, I sort of get off on it on some level. I really enjoy this time of year. I enjoy doing the tax strategies and say, saving my clients money. Um, so I don't mind the long hours so much. You know, I'm doing 80 plus hours a oh week right at the moment. But um, other than not seeing my family, I really love it. <laughs> well, that's quite the, the take. I hope your family is also okay with it. Um, well, actually, the first question I wanted to start, and we'll definitely be talking very shortly about not just planning strategies and what's coming down the pipe uh, from your perspective on, on tax policy, um, but I wanted to start with COVID. How, how has COVID changed the way you do business? Well, we certainly are doing more of our of our client meetings online. Um, we try to meet with every single one of our clients every year to go over their tax information and also just to say hello and catch up on how they're doing and maybe have a hug or two. Um, So, you know, we've switched to the Zoom format, which is great, but it doesn't really take the place of doing it in person, I feel, but um, it's worked very well. Um, I have to admit, a couple of years ago, we were actually recording a podcast on, by the time this we were doing it, of the recently re- released new tax bills and the changes that were coming up. And I feel like we're here two years after and talking about new tax proposals. Uh, so I would say the last six to seven years in your industry have been pretty active in re-educating yourself on what's possible and what's not, right? Oh, it's it's been crazy with all the PPP loans, the ERTC credit, um, things changing from day to day, unemployment being, you know, some of it being forgivable, but it's handled differently in Massachusetts than it is federally. <laughs> it's a lot to keep up with. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It also happens in our industry on the financial side of things where planning has mm-hmm. just become the priority in the majority of the clients that we see at Lexington. Um, and, and obviously managing portfolio when it comes to taxless harvesting and taking advantage of, of different tax mechanisms. So mm-hmm. I'll start with a, with a question tailored more to those business owners listening in the audience, which is what is one of the things or a few things that looking forward to this proposal uh, by the Biden administration, they should be thinking of today that they shouldn't or they wouldn't have been thinking of a year ago. And I know it's a little complicated, but there's specifically changes on ordinary income, on cap gains taxes coming down the pipe. And this all comes into planning. So in your perspective, Jennifer, what's one of the things they should be thinking of uh, when it comes regarding to the value tax proposal? 
Well, I mean, certainly if uh, the Biden tax proposal um, gets enacted, which I I think is, is a slight chance, but let's say it does get enacted, one of the areas of change is going to be capital gains. So for the multimillionaires, their capital gains are, instead of being taxed at 20 percent, um, plus the, the surtax of 3.8%, they're going to be taxed at 39.6%, which is the highest tax bracket. So, you know, if they've got some big winners in their portfolio, this might be the year to sell them so that you're enjoying the lower uh, capital gains rates. I also think that the other uh, big change that might be coming down is the proposal to eliminate stepped-up basis for inherited property um, upon a upon a death. Um, basically, what this says, you, you used to be able to, let's say you bought a property for $20,000 in 1968, and it appreciates to $2 million. If your child, say, inherits that property, they get the stepped-up basis to $2 million. So they could essentially sell the property the next day and have no tax implication whatsoever. Hmm. So uh, Biden's proposal is that would go away and the 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 child would inherit the property at twenty thousand dollars, what its original basis was. Um, so that's a huge huge change. And uh, so, I'll, I Noel, I, I was going to say I'll take this moment to actually introduce another guest that we have into this podcast. I guess I just got into the routine of getting this introduction one way, but because Texas is not one of my fortes, uh, we actually have with us uh, Susie Panduco, who is a senior wealth advisor at Lexington Wealth Management, and with a a ton, I would say, a ton of background when it comes to uh, taxes and business owners. So, Susie, sorry, I apologize for that. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. <laughs> so, I actually want to piggyback on what Jennifer was saying and throw a question to you, Susie. Um, our conversations with clients kind of like shifting to this particular topic, which is what can we do on planet when it comes to taxes at the business level today because of not just the fear, but just changes that might happen down the line. Right. I mean, business owner, I had a conversation with a business owner client the other day who said, you know, I have a new business owner or a new business partner, the IRS, who's going who's to take 50% of my business value. So it's definitely something that's top of mind for a lot of people. Um, the estate exemption, even if Biden doesn't change any, you know, any any tax legislation between now and the end of 2025, one thing that a lot of people are forgetting about is that the federal estate exemption today is $11 million per person, so $22 million per couple. And at the end of 2025, even if there were no tax changes between now and then, that's actually set to decrease in half to about $6 million per person. So there's a lot of estate planning and tax planning to do around clients who still have some exemption left. You know, use it while you have it, you know, because you could lose it down the f- in the future. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, that's a conversation that doesn't come off in Susie, and I think it's worth mentioning. There was a lot of tax changes in 2018 that are sunsetting, uh, no matter what. And I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, there are just... Is, is more than just that. There's there's other ones too that, that should be part of the planning. Jennifer, I don't know if from top of your head you remember one of those, but 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 they are important to consider when it comes to, to planning, especially for I would say people with bigger states. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I do know that the, in the Biden proposal that they're proposing to uh, extend the, the the enhanced child tax credit till 2025, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, and that definitely would affect some part of the planning when it comes mm-hmm. to multi-generational planning. Um, so let me jump into a little more of a basic question. And, and I for, please forgive me for going back and forth. Uh, but as they come in my mind, I'm trying to just throw them to you. A lot of the time when a business owner arrives to our business, our industry, they have a hard time separating business income and personal. Uh, and, and that's normal, right? It's just part of growing. Actually, it's part of being successful. It's like you start doing better and better and suddenly you need to start managing uh, business and personal different. What are mm-hmm. some top three, top four, whatever you want to mention, things that a business owner can start doing to get kind of like in a better shape when it comes to tax planning? Well, certainly you're required to keep separate bank accounts for your business and your individual life. Uh, I certainly see a lot of people who don't do that and they've got a problem on their hands because God forbid, you know, if you're a corporation, one of the benefits of being a corporation is called the corporate veil that we get to have all these wonderful protections um, based on being a corporation. Well, if you intermix your personal and your business life, that's going to destroy the corporate veil and somebody who's suing you could get to you personally. So it's really, um, and if the IRS should audit you and you've got everything intermixed, it's just not a good situation. So definitely get everything segregated. Um, Let's see. Well, I'm Um, I'm thinking that, that what you just mentioned is basically for personal protection too. Like at the end of the day, it's, it's not just organizational and require. It's it's for personal protection of your own personal income. Uh, Susie, Correct. I know you probably have a few ideas on this too that you have talked to clients before. Yeah, I mean, I think having the right team in place is definitely one major, you know, component of being successful as a business owner. You know, with being a business owner, there's a lot more complexity. So you want to have your CPA, who's probably one of your most uh, trusted advisors. You want to have an estate planning attorney if someday you want to pass it down to the next generation, a financial advisor to make to kind of play that quarterback to make sure that everything is working in sync. So I think having that core team in place is super, super important as a business owner. Jennifer, too. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, I know yeah. that on the event today, you mentioned, I would say, some of the most known ones, right? Which is like automobiles, right? It's like, should, mm-hmm. at, at, when you get to a certain level, does it make more sense to like run that through the business, run that through personal? And there's different caveats, because I also don't want to say this fits everyone. Uh, every tax yeah. situation is different. But do you mind expanding when it does make sense to do these expenses through the business? Ooh, complicated hmm. question. That's a, that's a complicated <laughs> question. Um, well, certainly if you want to be taking depreciation on the business for the vehicle, it would make sense. Um, if you're running other expenses through the corporation, um, you can get good tax deductions there. And certainly... Um, it's really part of the whole tax planning strategy. You know, you'd really have to look at their individual situation. If they're 
if they're using a flow through entity, um, what are the other sources of income and do we want the, the S corporation or the C corporation to really maintain those expenses within the entity, if that should make sense to you. Um, I don't necessarily, we, we deal with fairly small companies, so we don't always see the benefit of putting the actual vehicle into the business because we can take mileage, we can take actual expenses that they're incurring on their vehicles anyway. Certainly, um, you know, if you've got a sales team, you'd want to purchase vehicles to give to the sales team as well and take depreciation on those vehicles as well. Um, So that might be an instance in which you want the vehicles inside the business. Right. And I think, Jennifer, you said it perfectly in the um, in the event, you know, there are some caveats with having a, a, ve- a personal vehicle owned by the business that might increase your insurance costs. So I think that if you were going to have a vehicle or some sort of automobile inside the business, it really probably depends on the industry. Like, you know, I'm sure like lumber dealers or, you know, landscapers have tons of vehicles in there, you know, boom trucks, you know, all types of trucks that they can take advantage of that depreciation that, you know, it's called 179 expense, which basically means you can can take 100% of the depreciation in that one year. So I think it really depends on the the type of business. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was sort of, discerning between work vehicles, certainly trucks in a a landscaping business or a contractor, certainly going to be 100% business. They should be in the business, um, no question about it. I'm talking more um, personal vehicles. You know, should I buy the Mercedes and keep it outside the company or put it inside the company? Um, Those kinds of issues. You've got to run the numbers. You've got to look at all the pros and cons really to determine whether it should be in the business or not. Yeah. yeah, and and something that I I know for a fact, Susie and I have talked before when it comes to business owners selling their business or preparing to sell their business, this is a planning point too. Like right, expenses that you run through the business eventually will decrease or increase the value of the firm. Uh, yeah. So and so this is not just the tax consequence of this. That's where I think, and I, and I'm definitely not. Uh, Actually, I am. It's like the financial advisor does help a little more in this from the higher level, right? It's not just about taxes. It's it's there's more yes. there's more to it. Certainly, um, clients become hyper focused on taxes and just want to drive them down, drive them down, drive them down. And you make a great point that you go to sell your business and you're showing very little income. Well, you're going to get very little for your business. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why transition planning is so important as part of the whole tax planning picture. You know, when do you want to get out of the business? What do you want to do with the business? Do you want to sell? Do you want to push it down to your kids? Um, so all these questions need to be part and parcel of your tax planning. Jennifer, are you seeing uh, an increase on uh, business valuations, which obviously uh, entails there's more talk about selling businesses overall? Are you seeing any kind of trend on that based on the circumstance currently? I didn't quite understand the question. Can you say that again? Yeah. So basically, are you seeing a trend on just getting more business valuated now in preparation for selling with the expectation of taxes or uh, income increasing shortly? Um, well, we are do. I don't know if I'm answering the question, but we are doing a fair number of valuations, hmm. um, and certainly 
certainly as tax rates increase, more people want to sort of get out of their business because what uh, Susie was saying earlier, you know, I'm giving up half of my income to the government and that only goes so far. So we are seeing an increase in, in business valuations that we're doing. Okay. Susie, I don't know if you want to add something regarding to to clients. Yeah, I mean, but... I think I think right now we're kind of in you know that sweet spot where you know valuations might be high right now. Um, you know, multiples might be higher than they have been in the past. You know, there's an impending um, potential tax increase down the line. Um, there's also an estate. Um, you know, there's a potential for decrease in estate exemption. So whether you're looking to, you know, sell your business um, and pay a lower lower income tax or, you know, gift some shares to a business and to a trust or kind of transferring to the next generation, you know, I think now might be the time to, to start thinking about that. Um, again, it's different for everybody, but just kind of looking at it from you know, the technical side of things now is kind of a, a, a sweet spot um, when it comes and, to that. Well, and um, I'm going to transition to one topic that uh, I used to like a lot uh, to talk about. Um, and then after the 2018 tax law changes, it became a little easier. Uh, I don't want to say planning, but there were less things to consider, which is deductions. And then... And I, I want to also add that to the conversation of charitable gifting and taxing. Uh, why? Because a lot of our clients are thinking about that uh, from both uh, the impact that the charitable donations can have, but also the tax benefit that it could bring. So, Jennifer, do you mind maybe explaining or expanding a little on what do you consider to be things that they should be doing today uh, based on the incoming changes compared to three, four years ago? <laughs> Um, well, it, you know, it, it obviously depends on the individual, but we're seeing more and more um, um, of our clients getting into donor donor advised funds mm -hmm. and putting more away for charitable uh, giving. Um, I don't know how else to respond to that question, but that's what we're seeing is just an uptick in those kinds of contributing. Yeah. As, and as I said before in the presentation, that you know there are opportunities around bunching those charitable contributions into a particular year to get the itemized deductions. That's sort of the client that we're dealing with. Um, we only have a you know a few really high net worth clients who are dealing with um, uh, donor advised funds and those sorts of things. Yeah, and if I could just add something in here, I don't, and Jennifer, I don't know if you're noticing this um, as you're finishing up 2020 tax filing, but, you know, personally, and I know some other people in our office have been refinancing, refinancing, refinancing with all the mortgage rates decreasing so that when we did come, when it came time to file our taxes, you know, we're expecting to have this nice, um, nice deduction for mortgage interest, but actually we were, you know, in addition to the limit on state taxes and, and stuff like that, you know, having the mortgage interest now be lower because we have such great rates, you know, we're saving mm -hmm. X amount per month, but we don't get the quite, we don't get any tax benefit for it. Um, you know, that that's even more need for, you know, the sponging strategy for charitable contributions and using the donor advised fund. And I think what um, a lot of people, you know, don't 
um, don't totally understand about the donor advised fund is that the, the contribution happens when the money is in the donor advised fund, but you don't actually have to distribute from the donor advised fund to the various charities until you really want to. So if you, you know, make a gift to a certain charity every year and you want to maintain that same gift of call it $5,000, you know, you can contribute $10,000 to the donor advised fund, give $5,000 in one year, $5,000 in another year so that you still maintain that, that, um, that consistency. But, you know, from your standpoint, you get the you get the tax benefit all in one year. Correct, and I I think that's interesting what you said about mortgage interest and all because I've seen a lot of refinancing, and I would say you know seventy percent of our clients are taking standard deduction now. They just can't get over those those high high levels that they're at. Hmm. And I, I want to come back to Justice's point because this is something that we see a lot if in, our, in our clients and is uh, the benefit of the donor advice fund is it divides the conversation or actually separates the conversation between the tax benefit and the overall impact of your donation. And we do have a podcast on donor advice fund, which I'll, I'll definitely put on the notes of this one. But that is very important because... We're all human beings, individuals, and we like to see when I donate this dollar today, I want to choose the organization that it goes to, but also get the tax benefit. Separating the process with the donor advice fund technique has allowed to donate more without having to go through the emotional decision of choosing where it goes today. Like you can actually do that mm-hmm. later. And so it's a great benefit. So thank you for bringing that up, both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to... Well, multi-generations, that's the conversation I wanted to move. Um, gifting to the next generation is, a, I would say, a common practice when it comes to not just state planning, but wealth management. And there are some changes coming down the pipe on that too, or proposed changes. Um, Jennifer, do, would you mind just covering a couple of those? I know you mentioned them today on the presentation. Um. Well, certainly we we use gifting often when we talk about transitioning businesses, um, getting the the business down to the kids. Um, so we also do business valuations at my firm. So we frequently do business valuations for the purpose of gifting um, shares of the company down to the kids. Um, you know, I think the gifting, if, if Biden's plan goes through, I think gifting is going to be more prevalent because if you're not going to get the state step up in basis, you might as well gift the gift away the estate. I see. I'm assuming you agree with that, Susie. Right. I mean, the benefit of not gifting today versus waiting until after you've passed away is that step up in basis. So, you know, if and when I have kids someday, I'm going to want to be able to see them enjoy things. I don't want them to have to wait until I've passed away. So that's even more motivation if they're if the step up in basis, you know, is no longer. You know, why won't why wouldn't I want to gift them, you know, shares of, of a business or any sort of asset today? And in addition to you know the gifting, if you did it today, um, you know there are benefits. You know, if you work with an attorney um, to document it, you can, you know, get certain discounts for lack of marketability, lack of control, if it's a, if you know, it's a, it's a family business. So that will help you transfer more to the next generation without, um, without, you know, paying any, 
or much estate tax or income tax. Correct. Yeah, that's an area that you've got to also be careful with the IRS mm-hmm. in terms of discounting that if the IRS should look at the business valuation, um, they could have a say in, in what that ends up to be. Yes. So um, I want to close today, and, and I know there's, I mean, taxes, we can go forever. Uh, but I, I want to touch on one topic that came up on the event today, and I think it was powerful. Um, and it's also very dear to our heart and Lexington, uh, which is let's let's chat about Roth IRAs versus IRAs. A lot of people do get this confused and the benefits of it. Um, so either Susie or Jen, Jennifer, mind taking it, taking the lead and explaining why it makes sense, when it makes sense, and the big difference about uh, between the two. Well, the difference between the two is a traditional IRA is deductible when you put the money in. Mm-hmm. You let that grow, it grows tax-free, but when you take the money out, it becomes taxable um, as opposed to the Roth, which you uh, contribute post-tax, but when you take it out, it comes out tax-free. And I, I think it's really interesting that the the old um, – thought was that when we get to retirement, we're going to be in a lower tax bracket. So that's when we're going to want our taxable income coming out of the IRA. Well, in fact, we're seeing loads of people who actually are in higher tax brackets when they retire. So the Roth absolutely makes more sense to them. And I have a lot of clients who I see converting from a traditional IRA to Roth. I'm assuming the same, Susie, for you. You're you're seeing that often now. Yeah, I mean, the reason why not everybody contributes to a Roth IRA is because there are income limits. So if you make over a certain amount of money, you're not eligible to contribute to a Roth. But depending on what other types of accounts you have or if you have other um, IRAs, you might actually be able to do what's called a backdoor Roth, where you contribute to a non-deductible IRA, which is an IRA that you don't get a deduction for, but then grows tax would grow tax deferred. And then someday you'd you would have to withdraw that amount. But if you don't if you don't have any, you know, any other traditional IRAs opened up, you can contribute to this non-deductible IRA. You know, let it sit in the account for a couple of weeks and then convert it to a Roth IRA. And when you convert it, the only the only component of that conversion that's taxed is the growth on that original contribution. So if, you know, it's it, you don't invest it in anything or you invest it in something that's, you know, earning very little, the the tax impact of that conversion is very, very low. Um, so that's kind of a way to get around the income limits for contributing to a Roth IRA. And that's something that we work with with a lot of our clients who are who are eligible, who are not eligible for Roth contributions, but also don't have other IRAs, um, which would trigger um, a, a tax. Yeah, I've got a few clients who are implementing that particular strategy to get money into a Roth. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'll be reaching out to Susie to help me with that. So uh, <laughs> if, I, if I ever have that, that problem. Um, so I wanted, the last question is something I asked uh, Jennifer to every guest of the Empower Women Series event, and it's a simple one. Um, in your area of expertise, uh, what's one thing that people listening to this podcast should do tomorrow to get their taxes in better order? Wow, that's a really loaded question. What's the one thing they should do? Um, 
speak to their CPA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll make sure we share your information at the bottom of this. Get notes. their documents in on time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing, one thing that I wanted to add to this particular question, I think it came up in the last tax podcast we had, was um, don't avoid the conversation. This, this takes time. It takes a little bit of thought. It takes some help. And putting it all till the end, it's never good. Uh, and it yep. seems that it's one of those things that every year, everybody puts it till the end. So, or at least the majority of people. So, so that would be my only uh, comment on this particular uh, topic. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, here we are at May 11th. Tax filing date is May 17th. And we still have about 100 returns that we've got to get on extension or get pushed out the door. Um, and that's a lot. We're not a, we're not a huge firm. So that's a lot of returns yeah. <laughs> to consider. And as people may or may not know, it's an extension to file, not an extension to pay. So you essentially have to do the work of a return for every single client just to determine if they're going to owe or not. Um, yeah. So, it's a lot of calculations this time of year. No, we really appreciate your time. Uh, well, thank you so much to both of you, Susie and Jennifer, for, for being part of today's podcast. And then uh, we'll share both of your informations at the bottom of this episode. Uh, and for those listening, this was the Empower Women series of the month of May. Uh, and until next time, my name is Jordan Mueller, and we hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Lexington Wealth Management is a group of investment professionals registered by Hightower Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered independent investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referred herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not guaranteed. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as a general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Lexington Wool Management and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representation or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data on other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as a date of reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Lexington Well Management and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. This material is not intended or written to provide or should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.